0: America's number one show on pop culture and politics this is the Michael Medved show
1: and another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth a great day where the president of the United States uh, provoked a great surprise a riding 10 hours on a train The uh, 80-year-old chief executive um, uh, stunned uh, a lot of people by showing up in Kyiv. Kyiv, of course, at the very center of a war zone. Uh, He was there striding together with President Zelensky, uh, telling Ukraine that they can count on us, that we will do whatever it takes. This has led uh, one member of Congress to say that it's time for nations uh, for states to secede from the union. Yeah, that's right because uh, the uh, this particular member of congress believes that the uh, president of the United States has put Ukraine ahead of America. Who is it who takes that position? We will get to that on the Michael Medved show. We'll also get to the latest earthquake in southern Turkey where a magnitude 6.3 aftershock struck this is after a, um, a massive earthquake killed at least 40,000 people in Turkey and Syria. And um, there is also a, a a new plan, talk about earthquakes, to take a group of children's classics, by the way, which I've always thought to be overrated. I'm not a great fan of Roald Dahl, but with James and the Giant Peach and Willie and the Chocolate Factory and... Uh, the, uh, uh, the the whole over the whole production from uh, Raoul Dahl has been rewritten. Why? For the sake of political correctness. But it's a very, very strange selection of changes they've made. It's like they don't like the term fat. And because that might hurt people's feelings. We will get to the rewriting of children's classics, and speaking of a children's classics and a horror story, North Korea launched two ballistic missiles into waters of the east coast of the Korean Peninsula. This is of great concern to Japan in particular. We will be speaking about this with Gordon G. Chang a little bit later in the program. We are also going to be speaking with Mark Oppenheimer about one of the biggest problems with American education which is phones on campus and in classrooms. And uh, we will be talking to Wilfred Riley, uh, one of the great black conservative uh, African-American scholars, who basically says that the entire story we've been hearing about an explosion of mass shootings across the country is uh, overstated it's uh, misleadingly estimated but here's a stunner in terms of some numbers uh a record six thousand five hundred and forty two guns in 2022 were intercepted at u.s airport security can you believe that i mean you can do the math that's that's like five guns a day no, it's much more than that. It's, it's, it's um, more like 20 guns a day. And the, the idea that, uh, <laughs> that there are that number of people who are trying to take guns onto airplanes, what is going on? Uh, let me tell you something else that's going on. It is President's Day, and uh, we have a, a flash sale A president's day sale it will only be going on for a couple of days it's a sale where you can order the complete medved history store library this is with uh, full narratives about the Revolutionary War in great detail about World War one and World War two the uh, history of Middle Eastern Wars and the real origins of Middle Eastern Wars and of course portraits of our greatest and as some of our not so great presidents and how do you know the difference Uh, there's a particular because one of the February birthdays for a great president was Ronald Reagan and we have a particularly popular and important uh, uh, what was so great about President Reagan and what's so great about the sale is that for this flash sale It's 75% off. This is over 100 hours of fascinating storytelling about our republic. And uh, it's available at 75% off, which is the most ever. All you need to do is go to medvedhistorystore.com. Go to medvedhistorystore.com. And you can get it on flash drive or on USB. Either one. Uh, don't uh, forget to take advantage of our flash sale. Um, okay. The uh, there, there's more about on President's Day. The longest lived of all our presidents, uh, Jimmy Carter, who uh, has has had one of the most well, he's had one of the lengthiest uh, post-presidencies of anyone because he has already outlived any other president, and he's 98 years old. And for years and years, John Adams, who died at age 90, and uh, I, uh, Herbert Hoover also died at age 91. They they were the two presidents who had outlived everybody else, but then gerald ford lived for a long time ronald reagan lived for a long time even though he was suffering uh... at the at the end of his life when he was quite sick and he wasn't entirely himself a uh, jimmy carter and it it is i think amazing and notable he has turned himself into hospice care uh... they are basically telling the public that uh... his wife Rosalind, who's 95 they have been uh, also had the longest by far presidential marriage. uh... they've been married for seventy years, more than and uh, that that a uh, bit of news um I, I guess it's it's amazing to think about aspects of President Carter. and at a time like this, when uh, he is in his according to all reports, his last days, do you remember that? When he was a candidate for president in 1980, he was the last Democratic candidate for president of the United States to win most of the southern states, and he did. And that's why he won the presidency. It was a very close election against Gerald Ford. But uh, for uh, for Jimmy Carter, it was a novelty for him to talk about being a born-again Christian. And it was one of those things that uh, many, there were many people in the country who didn't even know that phrase, didn't know what that meant. And for Jimmy Carter to be an evangelical, and then when you look at some of some of the candidates today and you compare them to Jimmy Carter, he'd given an interview with Playboy to try to get the idea across that, yes, he was an evangelical. Yes, he was a Sunday school teacher. Yes, he was a very deeply religious Uh, man of God who knew his Bible quite well, uh, but he confessed to Playboy that uh, even though he had never done anything, God forbid, to betray his wife, he had lusted in his heart. And do you remember what a huge deal that was? And then you look at even some of our favorite Uh, political figures uh, among the evangelical community and some of the leaders of the evangelical community who have uh, since that campaign for Jimmy Carter the first campaign which was 1976 the year of the centennial well it's changed the standards aren't the same Uh, when we come back uh, a few notes from uh, Biden in Kyiv and he seems to be the president 80 years old seems to be enjoying the idea that uh, he can still surprise people a little bit and no this is not a, a daring dangerous mission that he's on but there is some risk and uh, what did the president say why did he make the trip we'll get to that and more coming up on the Med show
0: Let me say that I'm filled with admiration for Michael Medved. The Michael Medved Show.
1: And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, President Biden in uh, Kiev uh, after his 10-hour train ride. I mean, I know he loves trains. We know that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the president of the United States loves those trains, not the ones in Ohio necessarily, but uh, generally he loves that mode of transportation and he loves the idea of surprising people, uh, basically uh, announcing to the press corps that was following him literally at the last minute when they were leaving from Poland, where he had been scheduled to go to this unscheduled trip to Ukraine. And... Uh, Not everybody is pleased with this, Uh, and that brings us to our tweets of the day. Turn the page now to the Internet. (laughs) I mean, wow, what a great, smart
0: tweet. Change his password so he no longer has access to his Twitter feed. Did you send the tweet? I did not send that tweet. My
1: system was hacked. I was
0: pranked. Donald Trump hasn't tweeted at us once, and I'm starting to get worried about him. So we have a new tweet. All right. Can I do the honors? Stand by tweet alert.
1: This is uh, the all-but-announced candidate for vice president, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She has said that, yes, she is eager to uh, run with President Trump. Of course, President Trump would be committing a, another kind of political suicide by selecting her, but as she tweeted today, uh, this is incredibly insulting. Today on our President's Day, Joe Biden, the President of the United States, chose Ukraine over America while forcing the American people to pay for Ukraine's government and war. I cannot express how much Americans hate Joe Biden. And uh, then there's also this from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, We need a national divorce. Uh, That's always lovely, lovely words to hear. Uh, We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Uh Uh-huh. Everyone I talk to says this, Uh, Marjorie, you should get out more and talk to other people. From the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies, we are, uh, she says, we are done. That's what we were looking for. just we are done. And she is done with her um, her contributions in the world of Twitter. Uh, look, the one thing that you remember on President's Day and President's Day, of course, was sort of an attempt to throw together uh, Lincoln's birthday, which used to be a separate holiday and Washington's birthday, which used to be a separate holiday. Uh, Washington's birthday is actually on the 22nd of this month, and uh, Lincoln's birthday on the 12th. And one of the things that the idea of a national divorce, um, most divorces don't go smoothly. Um, I mean, that's just the nature of things. Uh, Sometimes, every once in a while, people may have an unusually – genteel kind of split but the idea that it would shrink the federal government uh, and and the 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 problem of course with all of this and this was something that was very much on Lincoln's mind uh, Lincoln and his secretary of state William Henry Seward believed in the United States role in the world And Seward made that particularly clear because he continued to serve as Secretary of State for nearly another four years after the war, after the Civil War was won. And the idea that uh, separating red states and blue states would increase the United States' role in the world, which is part of the reason I think that America exists. And most, most Americans believe that. And by the way, it's very clear the overwhelming majority of Republicans led by Mitch McConnell, led by Kevin McCarthy, uh, led by Steve Scalise, led by the Republicans in the House and in the Senate do support America's role in defending liberty against, uh, honestly, the worst figure in world affairs since uh, since Hitler and Stalin, and somebody who greatly admires Stalin. And when you're talking about the the cruelty and the savagery and uh, the importance right now of all the leaders of the West, it's not just the United States. We're not isolated from our our allies. Uh, Germany and uh, the United Kingdom have also been very resilient and very focused on providing President Zelensky and Ukraine with the weapons and the help that they need to continue to defend their existence as an independent and democratic nation. Biden sat next to Zelensky in Kiev in the kind of setting that you see when the US president hosts foreign leaders in the Oval Office. They're both sitting in front of a fireplace, they're facing each other and President Biden said this. It
0: was not just me to say this, but I thought it was important that the President of the United States be here the day the attack began. Because as the President, remember, I was warning the world that he was going to attack. I was certain of it. And uh, I thought it was critical that there would not be any doubt, none whatsoever, about U.S. support ukraine in their war against the brutal
1: attack by russia again these words are important this trip is important and um, president biden indicated he wasn't just speaking for himself this is clip b for all
0: the disagreement we have in our congress on some issues uh, there is a significant agreement support for because this is so much
1: larger than just Ukraine. And uh, yes, it it is. Uh, there is more, uh, and uh, there's more coming up about the way that this is going to shape up as an election issue. Uh, Andy McCarthy has taken a pretty careful look at some of the many, 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 and there are about seven major fronts in the uh, legal battles that President Trump is uh, facing uh, as his campaign proceeds. People have heard about the one in Georgia. There is a special prosecutor who's supposed to be looking at January sixth and President Trump's role, as well as the documents crisis. There is the question of the business practices of Trump and Company. Uh, there's even that uh, a lawsuit, defamation suit involving uh, the woman, E. Jean Carroll, who claims she was raped by President Trump. Oh, yeah, and then the hush money involving—all of that is pending. Do any of those legal cases matter politically? Will they matter as the presidential campaign goes on? We'll be talking to Andy McCarthy of National Review coming up.
0: The greatest show on God's green earth.
1: I have no doubt— On the Michael Medved Show, uh, it is uh, President's Day today, and it's an interesting time to talk about two different presidents, one of whom is sitting in the Oval Office right now. That uh, Well, no, actually, he's sitting in Ukraine right now. He's uh, sitting next to President Zelensky, or he was a couple of hours ago. Uh, And the other president that uh, we think about this President's Day, particularly, is Donald uh, J. Trump, who uh wants very much to return to the White House as an announced candidate. So we have uh, two presidents potentially running against each other as nominees of the major parties. And uh Andrew McCarthy is a senior fellow at National Review Institute. He's an NR contributing editor. He's the author of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. But uh he's also a former prosecutor. And one of the sharpest legal minds in the country. Uh, Andy, with the grand jury and its redacted uh, uh, results or its res- redacted report that was released last week, and with all of the ongoing cases that are being brought uh, against President Trump, in, including by the special prosecutor Jack Smith including involving the documents at Mar-a-Lago and uh, his uh, performance during January 6th and, and much more, hush money potentially and uh, perjury potentially. Is there a chance that the Trump campaign will be decided and the outcome of this election would be decided in a courtroom rather than by voters? Yeah, Michael, I
0: think, you know, if it if it came to that, uh, I guess you could you could ask whether it would be decided at least at the uh, at the indictment stage before it ever got to, the, to a courtroom in the form of a criminal trial. I mean, my own view of it for what it's worth is that, um, you know, uh, however you feel about President Trump, the Republican Party has to ask uh, a serious question of itself about whether you want to take on the Trump baggage, which is going to change week to week. I mean, you what you laid out sounded like a long laundry list uh, of potential prosecutions. I only wish it was the end of it. Um, we simply don't know how much more there will be. And, you know, some of that is obviously Trump's fault. He's engaged in some uh, very questionable behavior. But the other dynamic here, which I think we have to, Uh, face up to is that most of these uh, state prosecutorial positions around the country, whether it's uh, state attorneys general or or district attorneys, are elected political positions. And in Democrat controlled states, it's a very popular position to take with progressive voters that uh, if you elect me, I will use my power to go after Trump. Uh, Letitia James did it as the uh, district attorney or the state attorney general uh in new york uh, and a lot of these progressive prosecutors who might potentially have uh you know cases that they could bring or at least imagine against trump are going to be motivated for political reasons to do that so this this isn't even close to the end
1: so let, let me ask you one of the things that people are speculating about this morning and i'm sure you you've already Pronounced judgment on this, but I hope you'll share it with us is that one of the um, the problems that Trump has, and it's a real problem, is that potential perjury charge and and other charges surrounding the prosecution by Fani Wallace and uh, the, who's the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia. Now, Georgia's not controlled by Democrats. Um, it's Governor Kemp and. And uh, I, I, most of the state government, and I think both houses of the legislature, are controlled by Republicans. But if the Fulton County, Georgia, D.A. charges Trump, is there a chance he would be extradited from Florida? And is there a chance that uh, Ron DeSantis would have to <laughs> make some decision about whether they should extradite the uh, the former president?
0: Yeah, we have pretty free uh extradition between the states in this country, Michael. So you really can't, um, as a practical matter, you can't avoid prosecution by crossing state lines. And I don't think Governor DeSantis would have to get involved in that. Um, that would just—I mean—that kind of thing happens all the time. I—I w- I would point out you're quite right to point out that the um, that the state of Georgia has a Republican government. But Fannie Willis is a is a very active and I think politically ambitious Democrat uh, in the Atlanta area in, in Fulton County, which raises the, uh, the interesting question is, uh, you know, the only out for Trump if he gets charged there, other than trying to beat the case at trial, would be to see if the governor would pardon him. And
1: I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for Kemp to pardon Trump. <laughs> you mean for Kemp to pardon Trump? Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, of, of the various charges against him, I, I know that I, I think they said that Michael Cohen was meeting with the Alvin Bragg office, which I believe is the same office you once worked in as a prosecutor, right? Uh, he, Bragg is the
0: district attorney, the state district attorney of Manhattan County, right. which is across the street from the uh, United States Attorney's Office. Which is the, where you worked. Uh, Southern District of New York, or as we called it, the Sovereign District of New York,
1: yes. Right. So uh, (laughs) with with all of this uh, going on, uh, which which of these cases looks to you if you were advising President Trump, which of the cases against him is most uh, threatening of the several cases against him? It's not it's not the documents case, is it? Or, or what What would your guess be? You know, this is an interesting question, because
0: th- I think the strongest case evidence wise is the documents case. That's the cleanest one. I mean, it's you either, you know, have classified documents or you don't. I don't really, you know, to the extent people raise the fact that Trump could um, could declassify documents. I don't think that's a defense to the charges, and I don't think there's any evidence that he actually did it. I, I frankly think there would be a bigger scandal uh, if he declassified highly highly uh, sensitive intelligence secrets so he could keep them as mementos. It would be almost worse than what he'd be charged with. But evidence-wise, I think that's the, the easiest case. The problem is it's now politically fraught because Biden has his own uh, classified documents, scandal, which is why I think you're seeing the rhetoric of the Democrats in discussing that case switching from uh, the retention of classified documents to obstruction, which is the thing that um, distinguishes Trump's case from, from Biden's case. Um, I, I, I think that may be too politically fraught to bring. Uh, so I think they're back to trying to make a January 6th case, which also has a lot of, um, a lot of legal problems. Uh, and then the other thing you mentioned, Fannie Willis, uh, she has talked about, you know, bring a big conspiracy case. She calls it a racketeering case in some of the public commentary uh, against Trump and a number of people who are connected with his campaign in Georgia. I would note that the reporting is that she is working cooperatively with the Justice Department. And ordinarily, uh, the Justice Department would not like it would not uh, if it could avoid it. Uh, allow itself to be beaten to the punch by a state prosecutor if it's going to go it would much prefer to go first
1: and uh, basically do you think that the they will make progress on this Jack Smith investigation of both the documents and then January 6th uh, in time to have an impact on the struggle for the nomination oh yeah I think so I mean I, I think that Michael
0: that that investigation was pretty ripe By the time that Smith was uh, appointed in November, and the fact that they're now talking about.
1: Can you stay for a moment to talk about saving America from default Uh (laughs) and the debt (laughs) crisis? We'll be right back with Andy McCarthy.
0: The Michael Medved Show.
1: Michael Medved show over the weekend uh, there was news from uh, Janet Yellen the secretary of the Treasury former head of the Federal Reserve somebody with a certain amount of credibility about what's going on with the US economy and a credibility to the extent that we may have a very big disaster sometime in June or July if the United States defaults on the national debt which is already Uh, skyrocketed. It skyrocketed under Biden. It's skyrocketed under Trump. The national debt has been growing and growing and growing. And uh, Andrew McCarthy, uh, again, one of the sharpest legal minds in the country and a former um, prosecutor with the United States attorney in uh, New York, Uh, Andy is uh, also, of course, a regular writer and a senior fellow at the National Review Institute and an NR contributing editor. What about this upcoming default crisis where unless they actually figure out a way to raise the debt ceiling and to agree to that, that uh, there could be real damage to the U.S. economy? Uh, You believe that that's true, don't you?
0: Well, I believe that if we were insane enough to default on our debt, yes, that would be a catastrophe. But I think realistically, Michael, we're not the debt ceiling is going to be extended. And as people who are a lot smarter about the economy than I am point out, um, you know, the problem in the United States is not the debt ceiling. It's the debt uh, for Republicans and hold hold Biden's feet to the fire. Um, Things like, uh, for example, this completely illegal parole system that he has uh, on the border where he's letting illegal aliens into the country on this nonsense that he thinks he can issue a parole that, that acts like a visa that allows people to come in legally. It's completely lawless. Uh, you know, I think there's a few things like that that are like 70, 30 issues in favor of Republicans where they should pick out two or three of them and make that be the deal for extending the debt ceiling. You're not going to fix the, the structural debt of the United States.
1: What about uh, what about something on on Biden's uh, extremely dubious plans to forgive literally trillions of dollars in college loans? Uh, w- would yeah, that... I think that's I, I think you,
0: yeah, you're totally right about that because you could be on offense about spending with respect to that. Uh, Rich Lowry, my uh, my editor at National Review and my podcast partner, also. Uh, pointed out uh, over the last few days that Biden has issued this executive order on embedding woke ideology in throughout the uh, processes of the federal government. That should be defunded. It's, a, it's another thing that's like a two-to-one issue in favor of Republicans.
1: So uh, is there any sign that uh, th- there are some leaders in the House, which is where all this is happening, because that's the one branch of government right now that's Controlled by Republicans, are there any leaders in the House who are talking realistically about yes, yes, we will raise the debt ceiling, but meanwhile we'll do something about uh, uh, special programs that we can help to clean up or erase?
0: Yeah, I think the smarter guys are doing just that, Michael. The problem, I suppose, is uh, when when I was trying terrorism cases in New York. Uh, then judge later Attorney General UK used to always say that nothing in life happens without deadlines So, and (laughs) the older I get the more I think he was right about that so I do think people realize that that is the way that this has to be addressed but I also think the way Washington works until this is like a flat-out crisis you're not gonna get people to come to the table and make a deal
1: when when you look back and I know you're one of those people out there who's old enough to remember it. Uh, when when Bill Clinton had to deal with all of a sudden a very big, hefty, robust uh, Republican majority in the House of Representatives under Newt Gingrich, um, they they actually managed to make real progress, not with the debt so much because the debt is just there, ugly, scary, what it is, But they did make problem uh progress with the deficit uh yeah is why is that so impossible to visualize with this combination of a democratic president and a republican speaker
0: i think clinton was a was a different kind of person he was willing to pivot to the center he also needed to survive right i mean he was looking at a at a, at a potential impeachment crisis where for a for a time it looked like he really could get impeached but I think he was of a mind uh, and of a of a constitution that he was willing um, to to move in order to to make agreements and, and get things done uh, so part of it is him part of it was Clinton personally and then and then I think part of it is just how toxic things are compared to I think the The Clinton years seem to me, in retrospect, to be the beginning of what we now have now, which is a a really toxic tribal uh, condition in Washington. But it wasn't quite so bad when, uh, you know, when Clinton was president.
1: Yeah, because it seems that Clinton did have to deal with – he he actually was impeached, of course. He just was not thrown out of office. Right. uh, Right. uh, But – Aside from that, he also had to deal with uh, Newt Gingrich was a pretty tough guy and a clearly very driven to make the best deal he could. Uh, and you, you'd think that Biden and McCarthy uh, could could somehow put something together to make some progress in this regard. Do you are you convinced that uh, we are going to have a um, uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden rematch?
0: No, I'd be surprised if either one of them is the nominee.
1: Oh, that's music to my ears.
0: (laughs) I just, well, I just, I don't think, I don't think Trump is electable nationally. And I think Republicans will eventually have to not only face that, but realize that they have a pretty strong bench. So that's not so bad. And I just think, you know, Biden at this point just looks, you know, no matter what I think of him, it's, it's just at this point his advanced age and he just looks overmatched for the job. And I just, I, I can't believe that we're at a point where we would elect somebody who would be, you know, 86 or 87 if he survives the second term.
1: Listen, I, I, I think you're right. I certainly hope you're right. Who do you expect would be the alternative to Joe Biden for the Democrats?
0: Oh, I don't know. I th- you know, I think uh, obviously you have some governors who are uh, who are very interested in, in jumping in. I've always thought that, uh, Senator Klobuchar, um, who I I really thought the Democrats might get around to nominating the last time around. I still think she's running um, and is trying to position herself as a plausible alternative if Biden can't go. So I think it'll be a very interesting 18 months or so.
1: It should be. And uh, you're not uh, looking to the vice president as the uh, next Democratic standard bearer.
0: Well, I I think her numbers are worse than Biden. They are. But on the other hand, Michael, I, you know, if if something were to happen to Biden, which is not inconceivable, I'm not um, you know, I'm not talking not about the ultimate thing. But, if, right. you know, if, if if something happened to him so that he couldn't serve any longer, then she's the president. And I think if she were the incumbent president, we would be thinking about her prospects a lot differently than we're thinking about them now. And that's I can't dismiss that because it's not an inconceivable scenario.
1: No, no, you're, you're, you're entirely correct. Look, it, it is a much more wide open, it seems to me, race on both sides, and I'm glad to see we agree on, on this. Uh, Andrew McCarthy, you can read his latest columns, which are fascinating. They are wide-ranging. They are always astute and always highly relevant. Uh, coming up, uh, Dr. Wilfred Riley, who uh, professor at Kentucky State University, and uh, a leading black conservative scholar. And he takes a look at the epidemic that we're told we have right now of mass shootings. Is it really at the crisis level that the left suggests? What's the distortion that you often hear about that in this greatest nation on God's green earth?